equipped. On equipped. So we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're talking about being equipped for spiritual warfare. And so we'll jump right in here. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Thankful the sun finally came out. How about you? How are you thankful for the rain though? Yes? Thankful for the rain. It's great. But I am so thankful for some sunshine and getting that back. And, uh, and then all the weeds. The weeds everywhere you look. Weeds, right? Uh, all right. Everybody awake. You guys are good. You ready to get after it? All right. We're talking about spiritual warfare. And uh, we're going to talk about being equipped for spiritual warfare. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, we'll put it here. Or you can follow along. And we're going to use a number of scriptures this morning. We'll move quickly. So notice what this scripture says. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration. It's breathed by God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, to correct us, for instruction in righteousness, instruction on how to live the Christian life, how to live this life. But notice he says that the man of God, some versions will say that the servant of God may be complete, thoroughly. Can you say the next word with me? Say it a little better. Thoroughly what? Equipped for every good work. Paul said to Timothy, he said, be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. As he wrote his letter to Timothy, we are in spiritual warfare. We're in a spiritual battle. In Ephesians 6, we're going to read verses 10 through 14, and this is where we'll be this morning. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 14, I want you to notice that Paul makes it very clear. We are in a spiritual conflict. We are in spiritual warfare. That we are in a spiritual battle. Peter said it like this. He says, be watchful. He says, be vigilant, be watchful, be on guard, because your adversary is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Peter understood that. As Peter was in the garden with the Lord uh, and in the upper room, as we just had this uh, celebration of remembering uh, what Christ did for us, remember one of the things Jesus warned Peter about when they were in the upper room is he said that you're, you're going to be tested, you're going to be tried. He said to Peter, he said, be on guard, be, watch out. He says, because the devil desires to sift you as wheat. The devil, devil desires to, to tear you apart. He warns Peter and he says, watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. We'll study that down the road. But Peter understood very clearly that Satan is, is alive and he is at work. And he is at work in, in, in your life and in my life. And, and we are in a spiritual conflict. Look what Ephesians 6 says, in verses 10 through 14. Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. And that's what we're going to be looking at here in just a moment. But he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of, the, of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And by the way, we're living in an evil day, aren't we? 
And he says, and having done all to stand. And then he gives us this instruction. He says, stand therefore, having girded your waist, having fastened your, your waist with truth, putting on the belt of truth. He says, having putting on the breastplate of righteousness. We see here that Paul says that we are in a spiritual conflict. We are in a spiritual battle, good versus evil. And that, yes, that Satan is real. And as we've been studying, we've been, we've been looking at the fact that you must know your, your enemy. You must know your adversary. I saw this week just a short little clip, and it was Mike Tyson. Um, you know, Mike, how many of you know who Mike Tyson is? Remember him? Mike Tyson, but he was, he was being interviewed, and he was kind of on like a podcast, and he was sitting down at the table with a, with a heavyweight fighter named Francis Nuganu, and he actually fights out of Vegas. Long story short, as he was sitting there, and, and he's getting ready to fight for like a heavyweight uh, championship, uh, I believe in Saudi Arabia in, in October. But as he's sitting there, it was just interesting because Mike Tyson says to Francis Nuganu, he says this. He says, God has favored you. He says, you have God's favor. And you, you could see uh, Nuganu like kind of smiling and kind of happy and kind of joyful about it. And it was a great compliment. He says, God has favored you and God has blessed you. And, and Francis Nugano almost interrupts him, and he was kind of like, yes, and kind of cool, that's great. But then Mike Tyson said this. He said, but let me share something with you that, that you might not know. And he says this, he says that, you, that you're also favored by the devil, by Satan. You see, understand what Mike Tyson was saying is this, is when you're favored by God, it makes you an enemy of Satan. You understand, church? And so when you are favored by God and when you are loved by God and when you are a child of God, the enemy hates that and you now become an enemy of Satan. And so you must, as we've studied this series, you must first of all observe yourself and you must know yourself that you and I stand no match for Satan, that we are outmatched, we are outgunned, and, and that there's nothing we can do, humanly speaking, in and of our own flesh to overcome the enemy. And so you must know your adversary, you must know your opponents. In spiritual warfare, understand it like this, that in, in, in war and in battle, there's something that's going on all the time. And that is this, is that there is our U.S. government... And by the way, they're very good at it, called intelligence, intel. How many of you know what I'm talking about? By the way, not only is the government good at it, advertisers are good at it. Have you ever been sitting in a living room and have a conversation, and you just talk about something like, hey, we should, you know, maybe my wife and I are talking about, I was like, I, she goes, what do you want for your birthday? What would you really want? And I was like, I really want a really good blender so I can make like smoothies and, you know, and, and try to eat a little healthier and, and make some smoothies. And, that, and so we mentioned it. And sure enough, within an hour or two, all of a sudden, guess what all the pop-ups are? Blender. How many of you, I'm not being a conspiracy theorist, am I? How many of you know that what I'm saying is true? It's like, it's like they're listening. Oh, wait, they are. <laughs> that little phone knows, knows all about us. And the advertisers know, or if you, if you click on something and you observe something, whether it's on Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, or whatever it is, and if you Google something, or if you look at 
something up and you shop for something, isn't it amazing? Within minutes now you have like 20 different advertisements popping up trying to entice you to buy that. Are you with me? Follow me, church. You need to know your enemy. And in spiritual warfare, understand that that intelligence is important. Just like a sports team, they, a football team, they look at the film and they, they prepare for that conflict. They prepare for their opponent. Understand this, is that you must understand your enemy. You must understand how he works. And as we studied, he transforms himself into an angel of light. We often have this idea that Satan has a pitchfork and a long tail and, you know, and he has this horrible breath. And you'll be like, well, I'll, I'll be able to smell the devil coming. He just, he stinks. He just smells like hell. And so, you know what? We'll smell, we'll, I'll be able to smell him and see him 10 miles away. No, can I tell you, he transforms himself into an angel of light, doesn't he? The Bible says he disguises himself. He's subtle. And he's very subtle and he's crafty and he uses many schemes. And we said this, that Satan is very good at what he does. He has thousands of years of experience and his techniques get better and better and better. He's overcome, if you will, and has, has literally wrecked a lot of people's lives. And so we must be equipped and as we look at our series this morning, we're noticing that Paul, as he says, you're in a spiritual conflict, he says, let me share with you how you can be equipped. We've seen for the last couple weeks why we need to be equipped, because we are in a spiritual battle. Why do we need to be equipped? Because there is an enemy, because there is, Satan is real, and he, he is at work, and he, dis, he seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy and he, he seeks to, to wreak havoc in our lives. He's as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And many times as Christians, we are living as though we're in a playground. But listen to me, the Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. And oftentimes, because maybe in our lives we're in maybe what we consider a time of peace, we somehow think that, that somehow everything's fine and we're okay. But can I tell you something? When we least expect it, that's when the enemy will attack. Paul says it like this to the Corinthian he says, be watchful, be aware, watch out. He says, let he that thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Some of you might be sitting here saying, I've got it figured out. I'm good. I've got it. Be careful. Because when you least expect it, that's when Satan will attack. And so when Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus, when he writes the book of Ephesians, it's interesting because he's in prison. Paul is in prison and he's in bondage and he's in chains. And as he's sitting there, I want you to picture this. Every day there's a changing and maybe every so many hours there's a changing of the guard and now there's different soldiers coming and going. And Paul's sitting there, picture him sitting in chains. And as he's writing this letter to the Ephesian church and warning them that they're in a spiritual conflict, he sees a soldier and he sees that soldier from head to toe covered in, in armor. And there's a picture of a Roman soldier. And he says to them, and he uses this parable, he uses this analogy as he's 
picturing this Roman soldier, he, he's saying, listen, like this Roman soldier who, who is a soldier who, who goes to battle and is in conflict, he says, like that soldier is equipped, he says, you and I need to be spiritually equipped. And so take this picture, if you will, of a Roman soldier. That's what they would have looked like. That's what Paul was seeing every single day. And as he's sitting there, whether it's his imagination or the Spirit of God, both of them working, he realizes that, that all the, those in the church of Ephesus, that, that, and you and I as well, that we would understand what it means to be prepared for war. What's really sad is this, and I have to keep coming back to this, and I'm passionate about this. What's sad is this. We say, we say that we believe that there is an enemy and that there is a devil. We say that we believe that we're in spiritual warfare. But this is what blows my mind. Most Christians are not living like they're at war. And then when there's casualties, we're shocked. You are at war. The de listen to me, the enemy, the devil, he's after your soul. The devil is not only after your soul, the devil wants to rob you of any ability to be used by God. Satan wants to rob you of your joy. He wants to rob you of any peace that you may have. He wants to live in confusion. He wants you to constantly live in a state uh, where you are not at peace. And we say we're at war, but as Christians, most of us, we get up and we go on with our day as though we are not at war. We rarely read our Bibles. We rarely spend time in prayer. We Listen to me, for some Christians, they barely can show up to church once a month. Twelve times a year is not going to cut it, folks. If I told you that you get 12 practices in before you get to go out and compete, 12 practices in a year, you'd say, there's no way I would not do it. If I said to you, hey, you're going to run a marathon and run a race, and you're going to do 12 practices in the next 365 days and, and have had it, how well would you do, honestly? Come on now. You'd say, oh boy. This is serious stuff. Satan wants to, to just wants to wreck your family, destroy your marriage, wants your children. Do you pray every day? For your children. By the way, this isn't in the notes. This is just a spirit leading right now, okay? You guys with me? Do you pray every day for your wife? Do you pray every day for your husband numerous times throughout the day? Do you pray every day for your children? I look at the story of Job, and Job knew spiritual warfare was real, and he experienced it. And even though he had the favor of God, he also drew the attention of the evil one, the adversary. The Bible says that he would go out and offer sacrifices for his children, and he prayed for his children. This is real stuff. Come on, church, let me say amen. Because if, if, if I'm not getting through, we're going to just stay here for a while. Amen. amen. How often do you pray for your children? Can I tell you something? The evil one is after them. 
Do you wake up in the middle of the night praying for your kids as they're bombarded by the, the influences of, of the world? Satan is in power of the air and he is at work. He's at work in, in, our, in our colleges. He's at work in our schools. Satan is alive and well and he's, he's evil and he's seeking whom he may devour. And yet we get up and we live our days as if, as if it's a playground. This is not a playground. It is a battleground. This is real stuff. Man, we could go off on so many things, but we live in such an evil world, a scary world, where our children are being exploited, where children are being sold uh, and, and, and literally for sale. Think about this. And so many evils that are, are there and, and at the tips of our fingers. Your children will be being bombarded. Marriages under attack. Homes and families and relationships and churches. Paul says, look at the Roman soldier. He goes out prepared. He's equipped because he knows. He knows that his life is at stake. And so Paul in prison and Rome writes this letter to the church and he sees and gives him a vision of the Roman soldier. He says, put on the armor. Oh, Christian, every day we must get up and put on the armor of God. And the very first piece of equipment he speaks of is he says, you need to put on the belt of truth. The belt of truth, I don't know if you can see it, but it is belt around the waist, but then notice the leather straps that kind of hang down in the front. That's a part of the belt. He says, put on this belt of truth. Now, I don't know how many people are wearing belts today. I don't really like wearing belts very often, but we're not talking about an accessory belt. Are you with me? It's not a belt that's just there for looks. It's what we consider to be more of a utility belt, okay? Yeah. There's lots of different types of belts. There's fancy belts. There's dress belts. You know, there's leather belts. Uh, for weightlifting, there's lifting belts, right? Give you support. Some of you are, if you're in a construction trade or maybe do some construction work, there's, there's you know, construction-type belts that carry their equipment. It's a utility belt. This belt is not an accessory. This is not here for looks. This belt serves a purpose. Probably the best illustration I can give you about this belt is that of a police officer. A police officer that each day gets up, he's on duty, he knows that he's going out, and so he puts on his belt. Think about some of the things that this officer, he puts on this, what we consider a utility belt, a police officer, he puts on a belt. What does this belt do? Well, obviously it holds his, his gun, his weapon. I believe it holds usually at least two magazines, two mags. Some of you wrongfully call them clips. They're not clips, they're called mags. And all of you gun lovers say? All right, you guys got that, okay? It's not a clip. It's a mag, all right? Handcuffs, sometimes not just one, but sometimes an extra set. I may be missing some things. I know we have some officers here. Some type of baton. You know, it extends to a, a club. 
Oftentimes, most likely, the radio, their means for communication, a flashlight. Back in the day, remember those big old flashlights? They were sturdier and better than the club, you know? You had that, but now they have those little smaller mag lights. Typically a taser, pepper spray, or some type of chemical to spray. And then, of course, yeah, keys. They have their keys. And I may be missing some other things. The one I almost forgot was that, that place, the spot for the donut. Amen? <laughs> you got to have that. <laughs> Amen, Alan. Amen, Paul. Right? <laughs> you got to have that. Regardless, understand, picture in our day and age, we think more of a police officer. That belt, that is instrumental. Like, that is key. Without that belt, I mean, yes, they have a vest. We'll talk about that later in the armor. But just today, think about this belt. Now, for a Roman soldier, what did this belt do? Well, the belt has these leather straps hanging down front. It helps a little bit with balance, but it's there for protection as well. The leather straps were attached to the belt, and on the belt itself, it's a thick leather belt. It also was studded. It had pieces of, of metal attached and decorative metal. One thing it did was is it identified them as a Roman soldier. And so it was one, a form of identity. That you are a part of the Roman government. You have the authority of the Roman government. So it identified them as a Roman soldier. It was unrecognizable. He is a Roman soldier. And yes, there was some decorative aspect to it, but those metal pieces, now that it zoomed in, it's a thick belt. On the belt, it had metal pieces wrapped around it, a form of protection. Also, it stabilized the leather. It made the leather much sturdier so that it can handle the weight. The handle the weight, not of just the soldier. By the way, it stabilized the soldier. Just like a weightlifting belt gives you stability, it would help this, this soldier as he's sometimes marching or walking for, for hours and days and carrying a heavy load. It helps support his core and his back. And so it gave him stability. The, the key thing is it held everything together. Underneath, can't hardly tell, but you can see the sleeve, arms. They wore a tunic. It's a wool tunic that they'd wear underneath. And so what they would do is they would tuck the tunic and then put the belt on, and that basically turned, looked like a longer dress into kind of like, almost like a pair of shorts. And that kept them from tripping up, tripping over their garments. They would, would tie this up. If you can see across the front, obviously studded leather straps is there for protection. Whether it be stones that were, were, were flung at them and thrown at them, whether it be arrows, swords, spears, weapons, it was still somewhat of a form of protection. Here's something else that's key about it, is the belt held everything together. It held the breastplate in place. Without the belt the breastplate would not, would not stay on the soldier. It would be loose and would, it would fly all over, the, all over the place. Also attached was where he would place his sword. So the, the sword was attached to this belt. And I don't know if you can see the little leather patch, uh, pouch there, but that leather pouch would carry at least a few days' worth of food and provisions. So this leather, this, this, this leather belt that studded with this metal was so important to the protection of the Roman soldier. It identified he was a Roman soldier, provided protection, 
It provided support, but here's the key. It held everything together. He says, put on, Paul says to you and I as believers, put on the belt of truth. Put on the belt of truth. You see, immediately we see that Paul is reminding us of something, that Satan is a liar. Look at John 8, 44. He says this. John 8, 44 says this. Jesus speaking to the religious leaders. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and the, and, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Look at that. Satan is a murderer, he says, from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. He says, when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, his own nature, his own character. For he is a, a liar and he is the father of it. Satan is the father of all lies. Satan is a liar. And Paul says here, you must put on this belt of truth to overcome the lies that the enemy is going to be throwing at you. He is a liar. Not only do we have the enemy lying to us, but look at this passage in Jeremiah just very quickly. Jeremiah 19.9. People say, well, I just trust my heart. I need to trust my heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Don't, you ready? Don't trust your heart. It will lie to you. Be honest. Don't lie in church, amen. You shouldn't lie anywhere, anytime. I know I can say this. Has there ever been a time where you trust your heart? And you did something and you found out later, ooh, shouldn't have done that. I can tell you right now that there's been numerous times that my heart has lied to me. I'm just bearing witness. How many of you would have enough courage to say, yep, it's happened to me before? It has. And if you're not, now you're just being deceived right now and you're lying. <laughs> Here's the scary thing about being deceived. You don't know you're deceived. It seems so elementary. It seems so basic. But when you're deceived, that's the scary thing about being deceived. When you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived. You think you're doing the right thing. You think, I'm right. I'm doing the right thing. And so the scripture tells us that our heart is, is deceitful. Our heart will deceive us. It will trick us. And that we cannot necessarily trust our heart. The Bible tells us that Satan is a liar and he's so good at it. And he lies and he, and he throws out so many lies. And man, listen to me. The lies are getting just... It's, what's crazy to me is the more unbelievable the lie, it seems the more people are believing it. I mean, he's not even disguising... Listen, look at our culture. Look society. Look at the lies are being thrown out there. I think sometimes the devil sometimes throws, it's like a, when you take a noodle to see if, it, let's see if it's ready yet, if it works, and you throw it and it sticks. How many have ever done that? You know? 
Does it stick? And you're like, okay, good. That's what I heard. That's how you know if it's done or not. Sometimes I think the devil just throws some crazy lies out there and just says, let's see. Let's see how gullible. Let's see how, if we can deceive them. Let's see if they believe it. And now we, our culture and our society, and it's really sad, but now our kids are being told lie after lie after lie. We could go into all kinds of things of the lies that are being told. You're not a boy, you're not a girl, you don't know what you are. Trust the science. <laughs> okay, I'm really confused. Trust the science. Well, it says I'm a boy. Well, you know, no, not if you don't identify as that. Come on now, right? And what's crazy is they're all believing them. And if you don't believe the lie, what's wrong with you? Hmm? And so this world is filled with lies that Satan has thrown at us. He's a father of lies. Now notice John 14, 6, you know it. If you know it, say it with me. Jesus said to him, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We're told, we're being deceived into thinking that there is no truth. There is no absolute truth. It's just relevant. How many of you have ever heard something like that? Your truth can be different than my truth. All right, great. We're going to go up to the top of the church building and we're going to see if my truth and your truth, if they coincide. My truth says gravity is real. That's an absolute truth. I'm coming back down. I'm not jumping off. Amen. You do you, though. You do you. Even nature itself tells us that there are absolute truths, correct? Yet we're told that there is, that, that truth is just relevant and that there is no absolute truth. Can I tell you one absolute truth? Jesus Christ is the truth. John 16, 13, it says this. He says, however, when he, Jesus, in his last hours with his disciples, tells him, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And notice what he said, the spirit of what? What does he call it? The spirit of what? Truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you the, the things to come. I can tell you that Jesus Christ is absolute truth. I can tell you that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and that if we are receptive and we listen to the spirit of truth, he will guide and lead us into all truth. Amen? Now notice John 17 what Jesus said about his word, speaking of the scriptures. He says, now uh, I am no longer in the world but these are in the world and I come to you, Holy Father and keep uh, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be as we are. And while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, speaking of Judas. He says that the scripture might be fulfilled. But notice what he, he, he tells us here. But now I come to you. 
And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. Now notice this. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Speaking of Satan, that you'll keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So he says, sanctify them. He says, set them apart. By what? By your truth. Notice this. Your word is what? Truth. Where do we get truth? Where do we get absolute truth? We get absolute truth from the author of truth, from God, and from his word. And so when we think about what Paul is saying, What is he saying? Put on the belt of truth. The idea is literally this. Put on Christ. Be led by the Spirit. Be in the word of truth. Thy word is truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and life. He says, the Spirit is truth, and he will guide you into all truth. He says, the word of God will set you apart. Because he says, your word is truth. I believe what he's saying is this, is that literally the belt of truth is daily fellowship, daily relationship and fellowship with with the Father through Christ and his word and the Holy Spirit. That every day we must come into fellowship with the truth because we're going to be bombarded by the lies. Satan plants seeds of doubt. In lies. Look with me one last passage before we're finished. In Genesis 3, 1 through 5, we touched on it last week. But how does the enemy work? Jesus said that he is the father of lies, that he will lie to us. Paul says, put on the belt of truth to overcome the lies of the enemy. I said this last week, I'm going to say it again. Satan is uh, not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. The Lord Jesus Christ is all-powerful, amen, God is. He is, not, he is not omnipresent, meaning he cannot be everywhere. Satan cannot be everywhere all the time, but God can. And he's not omniscient, he's not all-knowing. There's even a passage in the scripture that literally says this, that if the enemy of Satan would have known the, the plan, the, the full plan of God, that he would never have crucified Christ. Because he realized he was then defeated When Jesus Christ, after the cross and after the burial and the resurrection, he realized he was defeated. And it says, if Satan would have known the plan and the mind of God, he never would have crucified Christ. It was kind of one of those, this isn't good. (laughs) Now he's defeated death. He defeated hell. He defeated the grave. Now he's given them hope. So understand this. The enemy, Satan, cannot read your mind. But let me tell you something. He does perform psychological warfare. He can observe you and watch you. He can see the things that bring fear. He can see the things in our life that we struggle with. Does this make sense? He watches us. He observes us. He cannot read your mind, but let me tell you, he can plant seeds of doubt. He plants lies. And I believe that the, the battleground, and we will study this more in the future, the battleground in spiritual warfare is primarily right here in the mind. 
And so he uses psychological warfare. It is real. And as we read this passage, I want you to notice the lies and how he works. It says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, big kind of question, you know, you shall not eat of every tree the garden, question mark. Is it really true? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, eat it nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Is that a true statement, yes or no? No. He lies. He literally says straight out, you won't die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's a whole other thought here. But did Eve even know what evil was? No. Wouldn't that be awesome? When you eat, your eyes will be opened. And we know the story. We know that Eve... Was, the Bible tells in the New Testament, Eve was deceived. She thought she was doing a good thing. She thought, this is the best thing I, I could ever do. So let me give you just a few thoughts, lies that the enemy tells us. Eyes that, lies that we see that even in the garden that Satan told Eve. In essence, he was saying this, that God is holding out on because you're in obedience to the Lord and in obedience to God, God is holding out on you. You could have so much more. Boy, let me tell you, for a lot of young people growing up, growing up in church, that's a huge lie that the devil tells them. Oh, you're missing out. Look at all the fun and all the stuff that you could be doing. Every you could wake up every morning throwing up in a trash can or in a toilet. All the fun that you're missing. Come on now. That God is holding out on you. You're missing out. In essence, God doesn't really care about you. He's, he's keeping things back from you. He doesn't care about you. And my, may I say to you, he's told that lie to a lot of people that God doesn't care. He doesn't care about you. He blatantly says to Eve, you won't die. Let me kind of put it in today's terms. What he's basically saying is this. You can get away with it. You'll be fine. Go ahead. Do what you want to do. You'll be fine. You, you'll get away with it. You're the one that will get away with it. Isn't there a lot of people that believe that lie? It's all right. You can get away with it. He casts doubt on God's word. In essence, what he's saying is you can't really trust God. You can't trust his word. Do we not struggle with the same? Do we not struggle with these same lies that the devil tells us? You can't, you can't do it God's way. You can't do, do what the Bible says to do and survive. You can't do it. You can't be a person of integrity. You can't, you can't work in sales and tell the truth. <laughs> you, can't, you can't be a person of integrity. You're going to have to lie. If you want to get ahead, well, then you're going to have to do these things. You can't trust that, that doing it God's way is the right way. 
And so Eve is deceived and Adam and Eve partake of the fruit. Now think about it. When they fall, I think here's some of the other lies. God doesn't want you now. Look what you've done. Now look at you. Look at your shame. Look at your guilt. Look at you now. And so what do they do? They run and they hide. And then they start taking fig leaves and trying to sow the, the leaves from the, uh, the plants and the trees. And they try to sew them together. By the way, how long will those leaves last as a covering? Now you got to go make them again. Talk about a picture of trying to work your way. It's never going to work. Shame. God doesn't want you now. Or maybe lies like this. God can't use you. God can't use you. Look what you've done. Look where you've been. Here's some of the lies the devil will tell you. You messed up so bad, there's, there's no hope for you. There's no way out. You've messed up so bad, it's it. It's done. By the way, Judas believed that lie. So much so that he committed suicide and took his own life. Peter, the Bible says, when he denied the Lord and he wept bitterly, he was brokenhearted. But thank God he didn't believe the lie of the enemy. Judas believed the lie of the enemy. The devil will tell you lies like this. It's too hard. It's not worth it. You know, you could fill in the blank. There's so many lies. In the Old Testament, the example I would like to share with you just for one moment, and that is this, it was King Saul. If you remember the story of King Saul, it says that he was troubled by an evil spirit. Well, we know who that evil spirit was. Who, who was attacking him? It was Satan. It was the enemy. And it is interesting that one of the things the enemy did, the evil spirit did, is he lied to Saul in his mind and lied to Saul about David and about his own son, Jonathan, so much so that there was times, many times, the whole, almost whole life, early life of David, he was running from Saul and Saul was trying to kill him. And even when David had the opportunity, remember David had him in a cave and could have taken his life and his own soldier said, kill him, kill him. He says, no, I cannot, I should not do this. This is the Lord's anointed. And he even cut a piece of his robe. And he stuck it in the ground with, this, with, a, with a sword. And, and he leaves and he says, hey. And then even, you know, he says, listen, I could have taken your life. Look and see, I could have taken your life. Look, look what I've got. David was loyal. David loved. When you read, when David finds out that King Saul died, he weeps and mourns over him. The, the point I'm trying to make is this, is that the evil spirit troubled Saul and lied to Saul. And those who were closest to Saul, Saul turned on them because he believed the lies that Satan was telling him. Even Jonathan, who had a great friendship with David, loved his own father and was loyal to King Saul and was still loyal to him. His own father, when David just asked why, I mean, when Saul said, why are you so upset with David? He took a javelin and he literally threw it and tried to kill his own son. Satan will tell you lies about even people close to you. Is this bearing witness? Are you listening? Kids, he'll tell you lies about your parents, that your parents don't love you, don't really care about you. He'll tell you lies 
about your husband or your wife or your children. He will use lies to try to deceive you. The Bible says this, put on the belt of truth, amen, that you can overcome the lies of the evil one. We're being thrown lies every single day. So I encourage you, I challenge you, church, where do we find absolute truth? He says, thy word is truth. Trust the word of God, amen? He says, the spirit is truth. Listen to the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, I am truth. What I believe the idea is this is every day as that soldier got up, he put on the belt of truth. What does that look like for you and I? It is simply this, is that we are in communion and fellowship. That we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit because the Spirit will guide and lead us into all truth. That we are in the Word of God. That we are in the Scriptures and in the Word. And that we have the ability... When the enemy begins to cast out lies that we can even quote scripture and we can speak scripture, that is the belt of truth. Are you with me, church? And most importantly is this, having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus said, I am truth. To know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is the the first step, the first step into overcoming the lies of the evil one. And all God's people said this morning, Amen. Let's stand and have a word of prayer. In a moment, we'll be having baptism. So those that are getting ready for baptism, you can go and and do that and get ready for baptism.